podcast episode 54 aka scum eggs it's a frankly offensive fall showdown all 525 songs going head to head ultimate showdown in four eras 77 to 85 86 93 94 2001 2002 2017 up tonight creep versus dresden dolls night and the devil versus behind the counter Midwatch 1953 versus Heart of the Herald Angels and Jet Plane versus Mask Search. Joined as always by Monsieur Chip, Billy Rugby, Tree Living, Sturdy Chimpanzee and Massive Gorilla. How are you, Pip? I'm well rested after my uh, journey to the uh, to the Mediterranean. Ooh, ooh la la. Uh, T-Bone Pemberton Walker, at the point where his artificial stuff outweighs the living things. What's going on over there? Well, they, I wrote a song about sauce this week, Brendan. Have you heard it yet? HP. <laughs> hey, well, different kinds of sauce, you see. Uh, there's all kinds of sauces they explain in the, in the song. Fruity, fruity sauce. But, and they come from different places, the different colours, all sorts going on. Tell you, there's not a thing about sauce that I've not covered in that song. Very good. Well, we... Um, covered it in sauce. Lord Sage oh. Temple hasn't <laughs> turned up. Tiny Tim Twa, I know you crossed a bridge that I can't follow. Is he with us? He's rocking in a rolling. <laughs> very good. He's very reliable, isn't he? And I am Three Beards, a succulent plant of Southern Africa. Tonight, before we get to the main event, I'm going to have a look at a young man called Mark Riley, who you might have come across before. Mark Riley joined the fall only at age 16. And he was in there for about four years, as we've well talked about many times before he was sacked after the 1982 New Zealand tour. And um, happy fall guitarist is is, is enough on the cover of uh, Fall in a Hole, right? I'm going to start off playing you a couple of songs. The first two songs he released after he was turfed out, pretty soon after, only a few months after, he put out a single called Favourite Sister on his own in-tape label, the backing band at that time was Steve Hanley, Craig Scanlon and Paul Hanley. And then for the follow-up that we've all heard a bunch of times before, Jumper Clown, his, uh, his takedown of the uh, night floor, nightclub dance floor incident with Mark E. Smith. Let's have a listen to Favourite Sister and Jumper Clown. This while listening to my favorite sister Cha-cha-cha, pick up for me Cha-cha-cha, pick up for me Work three times the money Three times the money But stay in the carpet Favourite Sister, which had most of the fall playing on it. By the time he got to Jumper Clown, he'd, he'd found his own group of creepers that Eddie Fenn, Paul Fletcher and Pete Keogh, they put out an album in 84, Gross Out, Fancy Meeting God, 
Um, miserable Sin is in rock and roll licorice flavor. Basically one a year up until 1987 when they more or less split up. And did five Peel sessions in the meantime, as well as uh, Riley keeping himself busy with a lot of other stuff. Alistair, what's, uh, what have you got to say about Mark Riley? Hey, he's a top bloke from what, what I know, really. Um, with the music, like there's a nice jingle jangle going on with the... Uh, some of the stuff that don't sound dead like a you know, like a fall rip-off kind of band. It's not like they're trying to be the fall. Um, they're trying to sort of like, you know, make their own mark a little bit, I think. But yeah, it's 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 not too shabby. Very much of its time, like, you know, um vocals especially, um, very much of the time. You know, the uh, reminds me a bit of the, the blockade, the chameleons, um, which is again it's that kind of area as well, uh, geog- geographically. Um but yeah, not too shabby. I mean uh, Mr. Riley, you did sort of like go on to do some very funny stuff. Shire horses at, at the moment and uh, he was knocking around with uh, Mr. Chris Sivy for quite a bit. I remember seeing him uh, in Mark Radcliffe being in the backing band uh, for the old Blimey Big Band at, uh, at the Denim Wigan years ago, and there was stage diving. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I, in principle, nothing against the bloke. Might meet him and he'd be a total cunt. You never know. Well, he actually deals with that in, in one of the songs I'm going to play in a minute. So he, um, by all accounts, a nice chap. Yeah, the comedy side of things, which I have no doubt massively would have irked Mez right from the start, was, you know, he got involved with Oink, the comic, uh, while he was in The Creepers. Um, and they put out, there was actually a, a flexi-disc on the cover of the first uh, uh, Oink issue, which I got when I was about 11, I think. And and also he did all that stuff with Mike Radcliffe where, where he was lard. And he actually did a thing called Lard's Fall Diaries. So I'm going to play you a little bit of the yeah. more comedy kind of stuff. So it, this is the, I'll play you the Oink song and then uh, a song that Creepers did called Bastard Hat about whether or not he should be a nice guy or not, which is pretty cool. And then a bit of Lard's Fall Diaries from the uh, Radcliffe's Graveyard Shift. The other reason for my late slumber is due to the fact that I had a late night out on the town with Mark Smithy last night. It was great. Mark told me stories about how he writes his songs and about a new song he's written called Drastic Man. I told him that was a coincidence and how I wrote Elastic Man, which was a song I wrote, which is rubbish. 
I also told Mark that I thought he was this nation's saving grace. After that we went to Blackpool for a dance. We were unsure about which part of the prom to go to, north or south. I told him I thought we should hit the north. So he hit me and we went to the south. 1pm. Enough about last night. What's in my rock diary for this my 17th birthday? F*** all. You see, Mark and the rest of the band are having a big party tonight to celebrate the first fall EP, Bingo Masters Takeout or Summit, selling over 900 copies. As I didn't play on that record, I'm not invited to the party. Which is fair enough, I think. That reminds me. I must start blowing up the balloons and making sandwiches. So it's all a bit, you know, uh, playing into the the uh, hard done by thing. But the fact is, the kid he was like sixteen by the time he left. He was still <laughs> he wasn't even twenty, and he had to be put through the ringer by Smith, who then went on and did a Hey Mark Riley. He made all his mates play on it as well. But I think it was fun comic, and he and uh, Riley did some cartooning. That was fun, and, and Bastard Hats got his charm. So Phil, what what's Mark Riley uh, mean to you? <laughs> Well, I, I, I kind of knew Mark Riley. I was I, I was familiar with Mark Riley way before I was familiar with the fall, just because of uh, Lard and Mark uh, Radcliffe and the. Um, I think the first time I heard him actually was on Radio Five when that first started, and they had like uh, they had a show on that, and that sort of that launch got me into listening to radio. Because unlike you two guys, you've got a few years on me, haven't you? And you were you two were both sort of John Peel heads. Whereas I was never really, never really religiously listened to. It. I was kind of aware of it, so I'm in the background kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, the, the the two marks were fucking hilarious on the radio. I used to love tuning into that. I'm only disappointed that you didn't play uh, Tony McCarroll's classical gas, which is one of the funniest things that I've ever heard. Which is is was well available on YouTube and is a, it's a good dip in. Um, I think in terms of the fall, you, you really can't underestimate Riley's contribution to it from a musical point of view. It's a bit like, you know, my theory about the Beatles, or it's like McCartney who got on famous and Lennon who kept on famous because of the, their approach to music writing and commercial kind of tunes. I think there's a similar thing with Riley. He had that pop sensibility about him in a way that I don't think the other band members at that time had. Riley can turn a tune like that. But when you played that... Um, favourite sister track it really reminded me of um, do you remember in the 90s when she banged the demos came out it sounds just like something off that production wise and sound wise even Riley's voice on it sounds a bit like that underproduced Ian Brown voice so uh, I'm surprised Alice didn't kick off at that mm. No, and the last two songs I'm going to play in a minute are, are examples I think of him doing some really nice poppy stuff I mean it's indie pop but it's nice, and and he his label actually put out a whole bunch of stuff, not least of all a bunch of Frank Sidebottom stuff and stuff by the Membranes and Funky Size Band, the Weeds, and uh, Gay Bikers on Acid, and, and a band called the Afterfoot Dandy, which were uh, very enjoyable. And I'll just play a couple of uh, tracks to kind of uh, wind it up. One Judas Sheep. And one, The Adventures of Brian Glider from their third album, uh, Miserable Sinners. I can see the use for destruction, glory. He's a native radical's usual story. So wherefore the wife of the Bible of life? I'm not gonna die, cause I'm not gonna die. 
So just a couple of uh, snippets of uh, what I thought were some of the best Poppy uh, Creeper songs, Judas Sheep and Brian Glider. Um, I think Creeperville is a good place to spend an afternoon, but I'm not going back there very often. There's some nice tunes, but I think nothing really uh, blew my mind. But that's uh, Riley. And uh, we're, as you said, Phil, you served the band well. Why don't we crack on? And have a listen to the first song up tonight, C-R-E-E-P, off uh, Escape Route from the Fall and uh, Wonderful and Frightening, 1984. Propositions are integrated within to electric dog status. We pat you on the back, your ears prick up, we call you Hitler, and then kick you around like homogenized milk. As is customary, what do you make of CREP? Oh, it, it was a tune I was aware of, but I've not really given much of a listen to, to be honest with you. I can't remember. It's it's on one of the singles collections, I think, isn't it? So I quite enjoyed getting into this. It, it took me by surprise how much I enjoyed this, actually, after a few listens. It, it really reminds me of... Um, it, it's got a very poppy vibe to it, hasn't it? It's very boppy. Uh, I think Bricks is a lot of the reason for that, with that beautiful backing vocal all the way through it, which is 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 perfect. Yet again, they proved to make a hook out of absolutely nothing in in just that that spelling out the word creep and then using that rhythm later on as as part of the hook and the uh, and the melody, even. Mark is trying quite hard to croon away on this song. And it's like, at moments, he almost sounds nervous, I thought, in his vocal. He's, he's on his best behaviour to try and do a really good job on this. So that's, that really struck me. The music reminded me of things of the time, things like Blondie and, and that kind of production on the record, which I think serves it really well. Um, yeah, I think that's all I would say. I, I, it surprised me, this tune. It's, I, I really ended up enjoying it quite a lot. And it's uh, I, I don't think it's like a massive mind-blower of a tune. It's just a great pop song. Yeah, it is indeed. It was the first fall song I ever loved and ever liked. Somebody gave me a tape with a bunch of wonderful and frightening era stuff. And uh, interestingly enough, the second one is also on this list tonight, which is weird. Just, uh, But uh, I, I did fall in love with that song and, uh, and I still do love it to this day. But no spoilers. Here's what uh, the absent Mr. Sage said. Prime fall pops. Love the pairing of the sun dapple triumphant music with a no holds barred character annihilation of the lyrics. Glad they included this in the sleeve notes. The pool of disgusting smarm, the pool of lukewarm, this mod effect of capricious green ham, who is everybody, yet everybody is him, the marred blow of suck poet's biro, the mud of everyone's mate, 
The pap he complains is just the grease reflection on his empty pariah plate. This track is a wonderful confection for my empty pariah plate. It's great. He's, he's not as verbose in his writing as he is in his speaking, isn't it? I know. I mean, half of that was just copied off the Annotated Fall. Shout out to the Annotated Fall. We love you, and this podcast could not exist without you. In certain basically areas. an advertisement campaign for the Annotated Fall website. This whole exactly. Um, Alistair, what do you make of this song? Well, to, to provide balance to the Annotated Fall thing, I've never looked at it, so there you go. Uh, other websites are available. Um, More power to you, Al. Exactly. Well, making it all up as I go along, as you might have noticed. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the song's great. Yeah, I loved it for years. It's it's a thoroughly good pop song. Um, kind of like in the you know like the indie type mode of the, of the era. Like the, I think it's the, the keyboard that really sort of like it's that riff that that nails it for me in this. Uh, it reminds me in a, a weird way of stuff that was going on at the time, like altered images, that kind of thing. Brix's book's quite interesting um, when she gets onto a little bit about creep uh, or C R E E P, where she's just far too apologetic to Mark Riley in it, kind of like, oh, this isn't about Mark Riley, honest, it's not. Uh, you know, because she, she wants to get on his radio program uh, to flog her stuff. It protests too much, me thinks. Yeah, it definitely protests too much. Uh, but the song, love it, great tune, dead poppy, dead nice. I've got yep. a question for you, Brendan, because mm-hmm. you're really good at picking out melodies and, and working out where they're from. Is this, have they lifted this melody or something? Happy birthday. That's what it reminds me of. Well, the other thing that people have said is that it's sugar, sugar. Right, it's very close, but I think that gets yeah, that that accusation gets thrown at almost any poppy, poppy bouncy tune. So, who knows whether it was intentional? Apparently, I think, um, the Hanleys maybe, um, Paul Hanley came up with this, and um, it reminds me a lot of Old Brother, the song of a similar era that has a probably the two most out and out poppy tunes but i love it i love poppy fall and i think the sweet keys are great um beautiful chord changes into the chorus where the backing vocals are the chorus that kind of almost motowny thing where the the lead line doesn't actually sing the chorus and i think it's the backing vocals that make it they elevate it i think bricks is uh somewhere i think hanley was saying maybe paul was saying like bricks got a writing credit and she didn't really do much but i actually think the uh that makes the song and the, you know every, everybody's just popping along and i i got the um the mez thing that um he's on his best behavior and he almost does a little bit of an elvis kind of a, a couple of minutes in the pixies were watching kim deal definitely i think taking some of that and they never got as poppy as this but um there was but I, I i can see a lot of that um, hey, Brendan, like, here comes your mum's pretty poppy, like, but um... thinking about it, I, I think Doolittle pops up a few times uh, as a as a bit of a touchstone, I, and that's that's like a classic indie pop album, isn't it? Well, Doolittle, like, uh, as much as I like the Pixies, Doolittle is the only album I've ever really got into, and I always feel a bit guilty because it's clearly the, just the pop album, right? It's like yeah. you might as well just call it the greatest hits if you throw a couple of Gigantic and a couple of others on there. You you basically got you know so yeah. but i'm you know i'm a pop fan what else can i say 
Um, apparently, the it, most of it is not about Riley or Morris, you know, the people that they've thrown out. But there was a the scumeg was, was is a reference to scumeg who was a tour manager who <laughs> Mark was uh, apparently very annoyed by. He was had the facade of being hit, but it was actually quite bureaucratic. And obviously, people have likened the acronym, the title to Nixon's Committee to Re-elect the President, which was which was officially shortened to CRP, but was mocked as CREEP. But lots to say on this, whether or not we will get more to say, I don't know, but I'm going to leave it there. What does Tim 3 think? Sort of jolly, sort of sinister, an odd jumble of a track. I always find the sweet melody that opens it quite funny. I imagine this was a bit of a novelty to be for the first time when it was released. I like it, but would never pick it out to listen to it. Well, we all have our taste, don't we? But it is up against Dresden Dolls. The only uh, recording that we have is a rehearsal tape from 1977, but eventually it was released on an expanded version of Witch Trials. Dresden Dolls, take one. This is for all you guys who work on industrial estates, sorry. I was kind of, for about the first four days of this week, I was racking my brains of what was this song. And I, and it, I think it's just a garage rock riff, maybe a generic one or maybe a specific one slowed down. And it, I, I played Crop Dust and I was like, this is very, very similar. And that's a sample of a Trog song. But also, when I slowed down Pushing Too Hard by the Seeds, that also worked. Alistair, what do you think of Dresden Dolls? Um, yeah, see, I can see why it's kind of like been left off. I mean, like the, the main guitar riff for the chorus got a nice sort of uh, groove to it. And drums are pretty funky at times, you know, the usual sort of thing that you'd expect. Um, yeah, the rhythm reminds me quite a bit of something like Modern Lovers, uh, you know, television or Richard Hell or something, that that kind of uh, side of the punk scene, less you, oi, 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 we're going to have a riot kind of stuff. Chorus really kills it for me. Um, I find that it's it just, I don't know, it's just annoying. And the, the, the lyrics in it as well are even worse. Like, you know, it's, it's just sort of my first band type fodder but it was their first band so that explains that um here is the card now form a band <laughs> crop dust uh, reminded me more of a brain ticket but i can see where you got the, the idea of, of that from but yeah i think there was, there was a band called the dressing dolls weren't there yeah i think there still is i think they're named after the fall song mm. 
What do you think, Phil, of uh, this song? I agree with everything that Al says, but I really like it. I, I think it's, uh, I, 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 even the, the breakdown, which is naff, it is like sort of sixth form level, as Al said, my first band kind of thing, which is exactly what I thought the first time I heard it. But I quite like the naivety. I quite like the um, the sort of uh, brute about it. Um, I You don't hear that guitar. Well, obviously you do hear that guitar on Crocus as well, but that's that's a, that's a sample, I think, isn't it? Whereas this is played all analogue. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I like the sound. I love the drums on it. I thought the drums were fab all the way through and it's it works because the production's naff. I think it's, we're on Live at the Witch Trials, it's, it's got that cheap studio sound, doesn't it? Which I can never quite put my finger on what I don't like about it, but there's something I really don't like about that sound. But it, the um, cardboard box production on this works really well. It, uh, I like the busyness. I think the guitar sounds aggressive as hell and, and great. It reminds me of loads of stuff I like, like the Stranglers and Roxy Music and things. So it's, yeah, they were the influences on the sleeve with this. And it is um, uh, a bit of a rough diamond, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Here's what uh, Ezra had to say. Dresden Dolls are back in style with a clockwork walk and a backward smile. Early tracking it shows, while there is nothing really objectionable to it, the group was still getting their form together. As it stands, it's a pleasant enough ramshackle of early post-punk snarl, but finds itself washed up in a lay-by, sipping builder's tea and pondering the muddy puddles as the sleek stainless pop engine of creep whizzes past. Spoiler, he's called it. I, I agree with you, actually, Phil. I like this a lot, although I can't really get past the lyrics. But musically, and even Smith's delivery, there's a punky fall. I'm, I'm all right. And that lo-fi thing, yeah, I love lo-fi practice room recordings. I've, got, I've listened to enough of them in my in my time. Uh, the stabbing guitar is nice, and Burns is doing his best. I think it's probably Burns doing his best to just make it interesting. <laughs> just like, he knows it's just a plowing along riff, but he's throwing in fills everywhere and some nice keys maybe in the background that you could just hear it now and again but i think una wrote the lyrics and um apparently she gave them and this is her stab at you know the the sheep or the slates and you know punks and nobody even then would just accuse punks of being um just putting on a punk overcoat or what a what a lazy world to go to and surely nobody these days would ever write anything that had punks just being fake but anyway i I find it very hard to get past those lyrics. Um, and it's up against, as I said, one of my all-time favourites. So what does Timothy think? Mm. So for this one, he's put, Bad punk done badly. Oh, look, Nazis. Glad this one was dropped. Don't really see anything to like about it. Fair enough. So he's going for creep, I imagine. Yeah. He does yeah. sometimes surprise you. Ezra's going for creep. Um, and so am I. So it's a... Uh, it's all done and dusted, but what do you think, chaps? Well, dressed in dolls, he's all right. I wouldn't say it was shit, um, but Creep's just a bloody... Oh, I said it's a big hitter for me, that one. He's called it. He's called it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm leaning towards Creep, but I I, I don't think it's as uh, as clear-cut as you guys, but uh, obviously I'm, I'm wrong. So up next, we have uh, The Night, The Devil and Death. Uh, maybe I could play this one, Phil, if you don't mind. <laughs> or do you want to play it? Go 
Now, having said that, yes, it does have more than a little bit of kinky afro in there, but I liked it. It's a muddy, a bit of a muddy mix, and the 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 narration I like the 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 high strings, the high pitched strings had some nice atmosphere and funky sigh. I was thinking this is where I wanted some of that Burns personality in there because he's metronomic at the time. When I when I think this is Burns would be throwing the kitchen sink at this, trying to make it interesting. Um, there's the sheets of guitar noise that are fantastic. And I said, loose sigh and the Monday's acoustic and you might have something. It's not the fall, but you might have something. And um, apparently Scanlon wrote the lyrics and gave them to um, Cassell Webb, who was um, Craig Leon's wife, the producer. All, all in all, a mixed bag. Uh, the, the name apparently comes from a, a, an, an engraving by Dura called The Night, the Death and the Devil. And um, it was presented to Hitler by the mayor of Nuremberg at a Nazi rally in 1933. But surely that's a coincidence. Um, anyway, I quite like it, but uh, it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little thing tucked away on the back of a not very big single. Um, Philip, what about you? Well, I, all the Nazi stuff to one side. Uh, I I quite like this as well. It's um, I mean, I was but yesterday the reason the kick it was reminding me of something as I was listening to it, and because I've been learning how to play this lyre and it's only got seven notes on it. I thought I could. I wonder if you can hear this actually. I've always heard it. So I was like, I was playing that on my layers, kinky afro over the top of it, singing at the top of my voice, that son, I'm dirty. And then realised my fucking back door was wide open and all the neighbours were outside. Clapping, <laughs> standing outside and just applauding. <laughs> oh, he's back. Sean, we missed you. <laughs> and he's liar. Sean Ryder and his magical liar playing in Ashton every week, every Thursday. <laughs> So yeah, so so that was all a bit wild, but I yeah I don't mind this. It's it doesn't grab you by the lapels or anything, but it's certainly not offensive, and it's it's quite an interesting wash to have to have going on to to be listening to. So I really don't mind this. I think it's 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 quite pleasant to listen to, but it's but yeah, not earth shattering by any means. Fair enough. Yeah, um, Ezra says so crepuscular. I was expecting to hear David. What does Kibbit. that mean? Crepuscular, Phil, that means resembling or relating to Twilight, not the movie, though. Thanks, Brendan. So, crepuscular. I was expecting to hear David Tibbet. That, he's the guy from Current 93, in case you're, in case you're not off there with Ezra's reference points. Um, groaning through the speakers at certain points, a marvellous piece of gothic night whirling which suffers no harm from the absence of Mez, who apparently had almost nothing to do with the track, neither singing nor penning the lyrics. Apparently inspired by a print of the godlike Albert Dura. How can a knight remain stoic and steadfast in the face of worldly temptation and morbid decay when the financial department are slashing his budget? Very good point indeed. It's a good question. Well made. Mm. Alistair, what about this one for you? Yeah, I quite liked it actually. Um, you know, it's, it's quite sort of terming in some respects, but then it starts getting interesting with all the, the strings and the noise. Um, 
do quite like the vocal delivery. Very sort of deadpan, a uh, bit like, well, remind me a bit of Nick Cave dolls by Bongwater. You make Nick Cave of dolls now. I want one. But yeah, the, the, the aloof vocal delivery, um, I, I like quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the guitar and drums and stuff, uh, you, you kind of like threw in the, the Mondays thing. And you know? I, I wrote down electronic for some reason. Uh, you know, that kind of like Ma Sumner. Uh, thing that went on in the early 90s. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an all right pop song that they kind of like want up a little bit. And uh, it's, it's not bad for a B-side, is it? You know, but they did do some good B-sides. It did indeed. It's certainly not the worst song on this list, put it that way. One thing I did notice about it is it feels quite epic for the runtime. It's only a few minutes long, isn't it? But it feels really big and spacious as a, as a, as a listening experience. So, so, so well done there, The Fall. Well done, The <laughs> Fall. It's proving uh, you don't need Mark. Fire him. This is a good job nowadays, isn't it? So on the night, etc. He's put new on to me and I don't mind it. So it's very late 80s pop, and I like the arrangement and mixing with the ethereal sounds and synthpads. In the Mesler's rankings, this one would be pretty high, I think. Not something I'm desperate to revisit, but a decent B-side for sure. Good shit. At least average good shit. Good. And it is up against Behind the Counter, which was a single, 1993 from the album Middle Class Revolt. Not a oh, we well... haven't. I know we haven't done this song before, but why do I feel like we've done this song before? In a specials, I think we might have briefly talked about this and a couple of others. So you will have heard it recently when we went through the the last special, the Dave Bush era. This show's getting to me, man. We're almost there, seventy-five percent of the way through round one. <laughs> well, that just that makes me feel like when I'm when I'm climbing a hill or a mountain with my daughter, and I tell her that there's a cafe at the top. Don't worry, there's a cafe at the top. She knows that I'm lying here. It's not a cafe. <laughs> Dave Bush, Dave, possibly Dave Bush's highest achievement. But what do you think, Phil, behind the counter? Behind the counter, it, it really reminds me of that whole kind of flowered up Happy Mondays type vibe again, isn't it? It's the big crossover between Indian dance when that sort of uh, started to happen in the 90s. Um, I, I like Mezzi's approach to it, nice, relaxed, sort of atonal thing that he gets going. The big trancey thing, I, I quite like. I think it's a decent idea and I think it works for the song. And I, as I was listening to it, I kept thinking to myself, I bet this was great live. I bet if I, I bet if I was there and it was everyone's pump jumps and pumping and stuff, it's I, I bet this would be a great song to, to listen to in it in that kind of venue. 
doesn't work as well on the record though for me. I, I think that that kind of trancey, lifty bit they do in the middle and stuff is a bit of a break and that doesn't quite deliver and stuff. So I think the production lets it down really. But I, I, I quite I, I quite like the idea and I think it's catchy. I think the hook's decent on it. But, uh, coming together, it didn't really work. I struggled a bit with this really getting into it. Fair enough. Fair enough, Alistair. What about this one for you? 1993 single, Middle Class Revolt, number 75 in the UK charts. Is it entertainment scan, this one? It's Middle Class Revolt, I think. Middle Class Revolt, right, okay. It's Middle Class Revolt. Is it entertainment scan, this? It's Middle Class Revolt. Is it entertainment scan, this? Yeah, but I mean, that year is not one of my faves, really. Um, God knows why I remember the 93 Festive 50 so well, but yeah, that, that tune definitely sort of like did quite well. Actually, I think I recorded it all on cassette. Uh, it was in it that year. There's plenty of uh, Tinder sticks and PJ Harvey and stuff like can that. You, can you name them all, Al? <coughs> so what? Can you name them all? All 50? Yeah, kind of flip. <laughs> uh, Not like we've got anything to get to, so Live, I do remember it live. It, it was all right. Uh, and it's one of the better ones from, from the LP. Uh, love the bass. Uh, and, you know, funky size, keeping it straight. Sort of met- metronomic, but it works. Uh there's some uh, very funny sort of like Frank whistle keyboard keyboard noises on there, like uh, which uh, it's cheesy as fuck, like but uh, amusing. Um, and the, the very last second of the guitar, that's the, that's the best bit of the song. Oh yeah! All right. So the festive fifty in nineteen ninety three, Al. The fall appeared seven times. The yeah. war was on there. It's a curse. Um, I've been to Spain. Behind the counter, I've been to Spain. A past gone mad. Yeah. Uh, Creep by Radiohead was on there. Ladybird Greengrass. Service, which we we loved that one, right? That's a good one. Um, Glam Racket. Hmm. And Lost in Music, all uh, pretty high high up there. Why are people grudgeful? But number one, not the fall. Chumba Wumba and credit to the nation. Enough is enough. Do you remember that one? It was the one that Sam. Is it? Maybe it's not. No, they did the ticky ticky time bomb, and then they did one where they sampled. They sampled um, "Smells Like Teen Spirit," but I don't think it's either of those. But anyway, the 1993 Peel fans must be kicking, serious? kicking oh, themselves. <laughs> Oh, no, I used to get loads of people who just write in who never listen to Peel and they'd be asking for... Well, yeah, you had, like, the Sex Pistols scoring really high in the festive 50, so about 1985 or something exactly. like that. You know? French Disco by Stereo Lab, one of the greatest songs ever written, number five, below, below four below Credit to the Nation and Chumba Wumba. Um, yeah, Cannonball by the Breeders in the top ten as well. Um, Chumba Wumba and Credit to the Nation got quite a few entries that year. Uh, England's Dreaming by Corner Shops in there, which is uh, fantastic. Their early stuff is really good. I was in a pub in London and I got introduced to somebody and they said, Ah, it's just Billy, he's an anarchist. But the guy turned around to me and said, Oh, do you like Chumba Humba? <laughs> exactly. And this is, this is even before they did that I Get Knocked Down song and everyone loved him. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I watched him. That, actually, that year, so th- this. Um, this song is the second fall song I ever loved because I went to Sunderland University in 1993 and I only stayed for about three months. But while I was there, every Sunday there was an there was indie Sunderland indie radio in the afternoon. It was a lot of fun and they played the fall a lot. And especially this had just come out and uh, I'd like to say it kept me going. <laughs> it didn't, but it was good. It was nice. Um, another great fall pop single, The Beat. Those semi-rung out chords, you know how I feel about those, but they kind of work. 
and it's all in Doc Shanley's base. It's all that. But I, I'm with you, Phil. I, I'll give Dave Bush even more credit than you did. Those trancy synths on the bridge and the breakdown are well dated, but still fine. And I think Mez's melody lifts it. Wait, sir, wait, sir. All in all, a top-notch tune. The hen center was always picking on me. They're all tucking in all over the shop. Got no time for dinner or tea. From idiots who write rock books, ex-groups cold would have played this for nose pin and punk. Piggies didn't quite make it, they say. Get behind the counter. I wondered whether it was about people who'd failed and um, had to go working in shops. Like I think Ian Brown once said, this sort of talent doesn't translate to the sweet shop. He can he can come on if he wants to talk about the fall. I don't think he'd have a lot to say. All over the place. Alistair, have you told me what you think of this song yet? Well, I just went on about Festive 50 for ages. Uh, but think yeah, of I, it's all right. <laughs> Not bad for the time, is it? I'll tell you what Tim says. Yeah, go on. He has put fun and bouncy with complimentary shit whistles. Synth bits sound like Van Halen. He's right, actually. Lyrically anemic, unspirited delivery. This one's just sort of there and doesn't really do anything. Mm. Ezra, however, thinks... Retail based rock and roll repose to music journalist possible. Great for its cascading synth melody, I guess, from raving Dave Bush all over a solid fall groove. Funny snipes from mess. Every car I see is picking on me. They take a left turn when I cross. Guaranteed they park on the pavement. So cars are picking on Mez while he's manning the counter of his CNN Iceland amalgamated supplies corner shop. Even more baffling is the idea that some of these cars have paid to park on the pavement. A tantalizing fantasia of ideological retail warfare. Later on, I'm getting thin from idiots who write rock books. I guess he's turning in his grave right about now then. All in all, good shit. Shall we take a vote? We've got uh, The Night and the Devil and Death versus Behind the Counter. Which way are you going, Philip? Uh, The Night for me. Interesting. Interesting indeed. I am going for, no surprise, Behind the Counter, Alistair. Yeah, I'm going Behind the Counter as well. Um, It's got Smith on it, hasn't it? It has. It has indeed. We know your rules by now. I know how to get a song through this competition, Alistair. <laughs> um, what does uh, Tim 3, which way is he going? Tim is going for the night. Thought as much, which is why I saved Ezra's for last. He's gone. Behind the counter 2.5, the night 2. It's for it's for my fallishness and my foolishness. Behind the counter rightly goes through. That takes us on to the third showdown, starting with Midwatch 1953. Who could have foreseen?
No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that this world was being watched keenly and closely by an intelligence greater than man and yet as mortal as his own. Alistair, what do you think of Midwatch 1953? Hey, uh, will somebody turn that bleeding space invader off? Hey, I like it. Uh, you got the, the synth clip track in uh, the swingy sort of uh, Chas and Death style drums at the beginning, uh, but then with the sort of... Uh, synthy string random cut-up shit being chucked in the mix after a bit um uh, it just goes all over the place it's a bit like rockabilly guitar in there a bit of a, 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 a tub, yeah a king tubby type studio approach going on there where they're dropping stuff in fading stuff out and i like the bits where the, the bass play sounds like he's hitting loads of bum notes um i mean that's always a tick boxes for me but yeah there's some kind of like a my new house type riffing in there as well if you listen closely but yeah i, I like i like the approach that they take to this one yeah indeed it is by no means a bad kind of track but it's just very middling in my mind and it's kind of it almost feels desperate the way he's thrown the synthy blurps and bleeps over uh, we talked briefly, Phil, about Bonkers in Phoenix, and I think Bonkers in Phoenix at least had a concept, even if that was done for the same <laughs> desperate reason. But the bleeps and bloops by themselves with Smith would have been far more enjoyable than the jangly indie underneath. Um, what do you think, Phil? I, I've listened to this tune quite a few times, trying to get it in with it, trying to give it a chance. And there's, I think there's moments in it where it kind of comes together and it's it's interesting. But I think the vast majority of it is a bit of a failed experiment, If to, and that's that's being charitable. Yeah, I, I, after a couple of listens, I was thinking about Bonkers in Phoenix with it and wondering whether this was a, a, a Mark showing that he would do it to his own tunes as well as somebody else's to kind of have that over the top production overlaid. Uh, uh, over but I think at the end, I'm, I'm with you really, it's it, it's floundering this track for me. It's it's a bit rudderless and I'm not quite sure what the point of it is at the end of it. And I, I, I didn't have the stomach to listen to other versions like you did to try and uh, listen to what the, the, the kind of bass foundational song it was but you I, I take your I shall bow to your insight on these things that it's not a great tune and I don't think the finished product is anything to write home about either. Well the interesting thing for the unutterable being the one that they the, the one of two that that lineup did together after the Marshall suite this was their and there's some nice stuff on there but the interesting thing is that they released the monitor mixes from Testarossa Studios which I think is something to do with 808 State um, and there's a little bit more more of a clue to the song underneath and that's where i was like yeah this is just a really plodding indie song it's got a few kind of sinister undertones or whatever but it, but it's hard to work out what's coming from the synths and the bleeps that were added on top and the fact that smith just repeats that one line midwatch now I started thinking of Midwich Cuckoos. That was written in 57. 53 might scan better than 57, so he still could have just changed it for a, for whatever reason. But there is some kind of suggestion that he does have some relevancy to those films that he was seeing around those time, the Mark Waller films, which had a bit of a nuclear undertone, and, and um, Ezra alludes to this in what he's written here. Midwich 
Midwatch, 1953, apparently on the topic of Blighty's second ever nuclear bomb test. Lyrically minimal, but musically rich. Mesmordantly intones, who could foresee what happened in 1953? Well, what happened was that bombs were set off in Australia to determine the acceptable limit of the amount of plutonium-240 that could be present in a bomb. Brackets Wikipedia. This caused a cloud of poisonous black mist to roll over an Aboriginal community, which in turn resulted in an undisclosed number of illnesses and fatalities, and also poisoned a number of the servicemen responsible for cleaning and maintaining the bombs. Bravo. I won't attempt to list the number of people who first saw exactly the kind of consequence here for the sake of brevity. Suffice to say, they were and are out there. Naturally, in the name of Queen and Empire, the British government has absolved itself of all responsibility for the lives of fans it ruined. Musically, this track is ace. Burbling chip tune synth dirge gets, gets married to an acoustic guitar riff that is a pure CNN perfect. Over the top, mez drones in tones in a perfect impersonation of a washed up colonial empire sleepwalking its way into yet another atrocity. Great track. Now, obviously, some horrific things described in that um, in Ezra's description of the song, though, but whether or not they have any bearing whatsoever on the song is your decision. Um, what does Alistair think of this? Is this the Midwatch? Yes. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of this, um... <laughs> he told us already. What does, yeah, no, what, what does Tim think? I want to know what Alistair's second opinion is on this tune. Uh, sausages. Thank you. So, it, Tim has put dreadful shit, nothing interesting, no artistic merit. Fair enough. And this week, isn't it? Exactly. Apparently, apparently, Ben Pritchard uh, is playing on it, which will make it the first song, and then he joined the band for the... And he's one of the TLCs, and he joined the band for the lineup change after this that eventually culminated in things like Country on the Click and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, it, it is up against Hark the Herald Angels, the appeal uh, session. It's only. Christmas! It's oh, Christmas! Exactly. The 2005 version of Charles Wesley's traditional 1739 tune with music, originally by Mendelssohn. Apparently, they decided to muck around with the chords to make it more interesting. Were they successful? Let's have a listen. <laughs> I think that is Lucy Rimmer singing, who we've heard on the birthday track. And um, what was the one she sang? Nancy Sinatra cover. Nancy Sinatra cover from last time. Right? Oh, City Never Sleep. Yeah, so she she was singing on a few at the time. Um, Hanley said, we we picked this song because Mark's new girlfriend, Lucy, likes it and wants to do backing vocals. Inspiration strikes. 
we work out the original notes and then put the chords back together backwards to create a wholesome new fashion alternative. Me and Tom Jones, not that one, did a Eagles set of Eagles covers once where we changed all the chords. It was a lot more fun for us than the audience. Um, Alistair, what does Hark the Herald Angels do for you? I really like it. Um, big question, though. is it a cover? Is it? You very, know, much, if they, if they... very much so. Yeah. But it's trad. <laughs> trad arranged fall. Is that different? Is that acceptable? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do like Christmas songs, uh, but not at Christmas, uh, just in the summer, really, because I get really sick of hearing them at oh, Christmas and it's all forced at you then. But yeah, this is really funny. And, you know, I, I do own several Christmas LPs. Love, uh, you know, like Pinky and Perky LP, uh, Christmas LP, Chipmunks Christmas LP. Some of the like the Tijuana in uh, Hawaiian uh, Christmas LPs are brilliant as well. Like, in I could, I could imagine like a, a fall Christmas LP being dead similar to one of those. Though it's like they all sound very much of their own. You know, like uh, the, the Tijuana ones, loads of brass. You know, the, the Hawaiian ones, loads of like, the, the nice sort of uh, steel guitars and stuff like that. And the falls like Smith being miserable off the top of something that's quite jolly, really. Like, but. Backing vocals are great on it. It's a catchy little tune. Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, but whether or not it's a cover. Oof. Spirited Mez, competent band going through the motions, obnoxious choral vox. Not as ridiculous as I would have wanted it to be. And reminded me a bit of Stand by R.E.M., but I think that was just a coincidence of the way the jangly, uh, <laughs> not the Heart of the Herald Angels bit, of course, but the, I think the jangly indie nature of it. Uh, but it's a far worse song than that one. Here's what uh, Ezra thinks. Heart the Herald, lovely to hear Mezzi's deadpanning his praise to the great almighty with a splendid celestial chorus to boot. Lots of fun and always on the turntable around this gaff come Crimbo. However, for the purposes of this podcast, there's only room in my heart for one fall Christmas cracker, and that's Xmas with Simon. What do you think, Phil, of Heart the Herald Angels? I'm with Al, really. This is a personal favourite. It's it's one of those Christmas tunes that I don't mind putting on and have a drunken sing-song with. <laughs> I think the production is perfect for a Christmas record. I think it's it's light touch, poppy production. Um, I think I think it all comes together quite well. There's, I think it's another one of those cases where individually everything's a bit naff, but when it all comes together, it's, it's all quite jolly. I, I like Smithy's delivery on it. I like the um, amateurish guitar that uh, that plays through it. Um, yeah, I, it, this is one of my favourite Christmas tunes. And uh, they're not the only sort of punky bands who've done it either. The Dickies had a go at it as well, I think, and a few others. I'm sure everyone's trotted it out at their Christmas shows, and why not? It's a beautiful song and a classic. One of my favourites. Not quite in the deep midwinter. That's a good one. It's a deep cut, that, though. A lot of people don't know that unless they were churchgoers. But uh, what does Tim 3 think? I don't want to hark, thanks. Okay, fair enough. He's got no time for this. He's just got sand in his vagina today, hasn't he? He's just a bit grumpy. I'll give you an out, Al. I'll say that this is a trad song. It isn't quite in the same category as a, as a cover. So let's take a vote. Ezra has gone for Midwatch. I am doing something which I have berated other people for. I'm splitting my vote. Because I don't think either of these 
actually <laughs> deserve to go through to the next round. One is just straight up bad, and the other one is a novelty, and there's no room for novelty in round two. We know that. Alistair, which way are you going? I'll go novelty. It's the sound of a man's integrity dying. Um, <laughs> Phil Rigby, what are you doing? Well, unlike invisible uh, Tim Toir, I am putting my shoulder firmly behind. <laughs> Hark, I'm with you all. So I'm not uh, splitting my vote anymore. I'm also going for Hark, so it goes through, because I, I really don't want to go through the rigmarole of counting this up on fingers just for one of these <laughs> to go through. All right, if I'm forced to make a choice, it's Hark the Herald yeah. Angels. Yeah, we've got him. We've got him, Al, yeah. Have a good down to the last showdown of the night, which is Jet Plane, the B-side from the 2013 William Ray single from the album Remit. Diana was and Dr. Jeffrey Hemmings first came up with the name of the Here's what uh, Ezra said. Nice little churner here. Presumably the man's ongoing war on cash payment. Another morally bankrupt stab at total control over the proles. There are some MacGuffins about types of rap and tinfoil handkerchiefs in French. Also a stab at the band Elbow, who apparently like to drag their heels while boarding flights. Presumably added so as to not help the authorities caught on on too quickly that Mez and Co were onto their game. A grooving, building throb of electro-rock aggrievement Nicely done. He's basically referring once again to the annotated falls suggestion that this is a tirade against cashless payments, although it's somewhat hard to pin that down. Philip, what do you make of this? I love that. That's brilliant. I I, I like how it. I, I wrote down half jokingly. This sounds like battles doing Yellow Submarine, and, and I, that's not to throw any shade on it whatsoever. I think battles are amazing, but that guitar riff that goes through it just really, really reminded me of something like Atlas. Um, and I, I think the that there is a playfulness in all the vocals from that kind of weird duetty thing that he's doing with himself uh, early on in it to like the voices of other people and the Italians who really like those sunbeds and it's got loads going on in this track and right? it's a lot of fun to listen to and I've I've enjoyed it more each time I've listened to it. Yeah, agreed for a, a B side for a late era B side. It's, it's storming. Diane Warstock and Dr. Jeffrey Henning first came up with their innovative new idea while standing in an like queue of all places. Ticket number was obliterated. The Italians certainly liked their Sundays, and to make matters worse, some sort of rock group were holding things up. They were bringing elbows and euros into Heathrow, and people who had cash bringing it back would be persecuted to the fullest extent. 
Bringing was, elbows and euros. That is such a great line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the lyrics are, are very good. And, you know, I think he was well into um, the spoken word aspect of it. It's a, it's a truly force. Alistair, what do you make of it? Yeah, I quite like the, the vocal delivery as well. But um, I really love the, the like the pace of it, the, the kind of like the march that they've got going with the snare. Uh, Phil mentioned battles. Um, I was thinking, sort of like Godspeed, the Black Emperor, because of the way it kind of like builds up. And Scribble Dane add into X as well, but it's just the one song. I think it's called something like Rise of the Black Region or something like that. Oh, uh, that is a good tune. Yeah. yeah just the snare build up. Um, I, but yeah, I, I like the, the, the backing vocal as well. You know, it, it reminds me of one of those uh, tapes that you used to be able to buy where you could, uh, you know, learn a foreign language, you know, cinef, path pie shop kind of territory yeah it's a bit on the, the about Italians that I noticed and you know Phil just recently went on a little Mussolini pil- pilgrimage like he's a huge fan of uh, Il Duce and um, yeah what, what's your, your observations of Sundays in Italy then? <laughs> we left on the Saturday <laughs> Poof, close call so I really liked, yeah, the beat came in nice marching beat, unusual to have that kind of variation. The synth line, sweet. The bass pulse and a spirited mez, double spoken word gobbins. He did the high and the low. And then the guitars come in and Greenway doesn't know what to do. He doesn't add anything to it. So he just plays the same thing that everyone else is playing and it doesn't help at all. It's all slightly metalish. Then Eleni pops in for a nice duet and Greenway takes the back seat and it all it all starts bobbing along very nicely. Come on, Greenway, you can do this. Um, a French vox comes in for some voxel interplay. And then Smith starts singing like a New Order style chorus towards the end. I was like, well, that's like something off Brotherhood or something. It's all going very well. And then Greenway comes in with some feedback. If that is him, I'm all for it. He, he finds his way at the end and he's like, I just need to make some noise over this. Good work, Peter. Um, all in all, I thought it was a splendid song. <laughs> what does your man Tim think? Oh, Greenway. Takes a bit of a bash in it, doesn't he? Right. <laughs> play. Love this one. Shuffle drums and a great guitar. Is it a shuffle? Is there a shuffle? More of a march. March. Oh, more of a march. march. Jeez, yeah. No drama. I think yeah. score him down for that one. Love this one. Shuffle drums and a great guitar. It carry a weird story sold by the delivery more than the content. It sounds like a parody of some sort of reporting, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Is there maybe something Godspeedish about it? Don't know. I think it... I like it a lot, though. I do think that's that those noises in the background, and we were, we were very um, hot on Greenway's guitar on 9 out of 10 as well, and he definitely has his moments. If he can stay away from that Mr. Road riff, um, he does... <laughs> It's not easy for him, is it? It's not easy. <laughs> he does some interesting stuff. He, you know, he brings good stuff, but um, it took him a while to find his. It's like an embodiment story. of that of that thing that you learn about the first idea is really the best idea. <laughs> it's not in this case. It's not if it's the same idea every time. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the last one of the evening, which is Mask Search off Ersatz GB. 2011.
before we get into it, production 101, right? So somebody on the annotated fall suggested that dipping vocal volume was more accepted in the 1950s before multi-track mixing became the norm. It could be that Mez is purposefully referencing early eras of music, which would rhyme with this of songs, old man rant. No, he turned down the music so it was barely audible once he comes in and there's all kinds of like weird frequencies going on. But I think that actually might be a good thing given the chirpy, happy, chappy backing walking track that's going on. Philip, what do you make of Mask Search? Not a whole lot, not a whole lot. I, I quite I quite like Smithy's showing on here. But that boogie woogie's doing fucking nothing for me whatsoever. The music is a massive turn off of this. It's, I couldn't have laughed at it that be dark hair, man. It's so cheese ball. It's, I think with um, Greenway, Greenway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of a theme on that album as well, isn't it? Where Smithy's quite good at doing some interesting things, but the music is so corny that's going on over the top of it. Um, it yeah, it doesn't really do. It, it's it's really tight and aggressive, and that's all for the good. But in the final mix, to me, it just sounded a bit like anemic Queens of the Stone Age. I, I just didn't think it was it, it was delivering anything that was that was great. There's some moments of charm. The lyric about Snow Patrol, I think we've all got a bit of sympathy with that. And I, I also think that the um, the end of it really reminded me of the blimp off uh, Trackmaster Replica. There's that sound going on. I don't know whether it's tape recorder or whether somebody's actually playing some shitty clarinet or something. Or that. I thought that was all for the good, but it's just shit boogie, isn't it, generally? Yeah, rockabilly, boogie-ish, twangy riffs, bouncing along in the generic, cheap, cheesy fashion. Although the bouncing bass line from, the, from Dave the Eagle Spur pushes it along somewhat nicely. And some some nice <laughs> high-pitched gurgling from Mez saying, but where's Eleni? One of the better Ursat songs, but still mired, mired in mud. And apparently uh, Gary Mulholland of BBC Music was not happy about the Snow Patrol reference. He called this a disappointingly easy target. Alistair, what do you make of Mask Search? Uh, not quite as down on it as you. I thought it was okay. Like, you know, it's functional. Um, it's a standard sort of rockabilly kick around, um, which was probably a lot of fun to play on. You know, some uh, cheeky little dropouts on the drums. And, uh, you know, there is a groove going on there. At times you've got some nice from Mr. Smith. I did notice the Snow Patrol thing, but I have no idea what he was going on about. Apparently, David Cameron did a national survey to make out what from Brit makes Britain unhappy, or maybe happy, I'm not sure. And um, Smith was um, hooting with laughter as he talked about the results, which involved not getting mushy peas and Snow Patrol being on the radio. He was delighted by the banality of the responses. <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, Yeah. What does our man Tim think over there? So he sent us the following. Not keen on this one, other than the funny lyrics and the garbled vox. The vox manipulation at one point. All right, I guess. Yeah, uh, Ezra said it may not have been the song Britain wanted, but it was the song it deserved. Funny lyrics <laughs> and some always welcome screeching that doesn't really elevate the somewhat boring music. So is it a foregone conclusion? Shall we see? What does Tim think? Uh, which way is he voting? He's gone jet plane. So has Ezra, and I'm going jet plane too, Alistair. I'm leaving on a jet plane. Oh, la la. And Philip? As are we all. Okay, so that means jet plane goes through. 
as does Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Behind the Counter, and Creep, and all in all, it was a fun ride. Good work, well, good work. So that's the last of this batch, and next week we are going to have a look at the special at the next four albums, which I believe are Levitate, Marshall Suite, Unutterable, and Are You Our Missing Winner? Good times. All right. Well, have a good afternoon, chaps. I understand you're going somewhere real special. Wigan. Wigan Town. Any more special than that? I know. Take Congrats care. to Andy and Helen. I'll say it. I'll be dick. <laughs> Congrats to Andy and Helen. We're getting married. Yeah, congratulations, today. yeah. And just one more thing, actually, once I remember. I sent a link round uh, about the fall auction that is currently going on to uh and selling all kinds of crazy stuff like right. right. smith's uh nietzsche and his notes and it so barely um, stained copy of nietzsche well yeah there's, there's a group of all fans well, some people who are trying to sort of like buy a job lot of it and put it into, I think it's like Presswich Museum or something did like that. Did he just usurp your story? <laughs> he did just usurp my story, yeah. Well, I, so basically just promoting the fact that there's people trying to raise money to keep it together. I just pause you there, Phil. Apparently there's some people <laughs> trying to raise money to keep all of Mez's stuff in Presswich. <laughs> Go on, so just, just one more time. If uh, so, I, that's as much detail as I've had about it, but I just thought it was worth a, re- a mention. Yeah, indeed. I don't know when the auction is. Uh, I've seen it going around on Twitter as well. So, um, if you want to throw some pence that way, then please do. And um, congrats to all the people, and uh, good luck in your upcoming auctions. <laughs> Bye. See ya. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're a person who's not 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 a